We're looking at the series, The Chase, in pursuit of the God who is pursuing you. And I've really proposed a question over these last few, few messages, and that is, what, if, what would happen if, if our passion for God were revived to where we found our deepest enjoyment in God? What would it look like in your life? How would that look? And what would that look like? There is an old song that was written in 1949 by a man named Jack Hayes and Jack Rhodes. Now, this song was made popular by Johnny Cash, uh, Pete Seeger sang it, uh, um, several other contemporary artists, Porter Wagner um, was the one that I remember as a kid hearing him sing this on the Porter Wagner show. I know I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Um, but it was a song that was titled, A Satisfied Mind. A Satisfied Mind. And the, the, the lyrics of this song kind of capture me because they re, it relays a truth that we really all intuitively know. How many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money... I could do things my way. But little did they know that it's so hard to find one rich man in ten with a satisfied mind. No, money can't buy back your youth when you're old or a friend when you're lonely or a love that's grown cold. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. Wow, what truth. What truth. Now, he was in an interview, Jack Rhodes, or Jack Hayes was in an interview, and, and they were asking him about this song that became very popular. And in this interview, he, he, he recalled, he said, well, I was taught these things by my mother. She basically told me these things. But he said the title didn't come till later. He said he remembered his father-in-law asking him who the richest man in the world was. And he said he started naming all the people that he knew to be the richest people in the world. And his father-in-law, after a while, said, no, they're not. He said it's a man with a satisfied mind. He was leaving the Opry House one night in Nashville. And he passed by a church and he heard the congregation singing an old song, Satisfied, a satisfied mind. He said it was there that he knelt down. He knelt down and his life changed. What does it mean to have an, a satisfied mind? C.S. Lewis said creatures are born with desires. And unless satisfaction for those desires ex exist, they do exist, he says, or there wouldn't be the desire there. He said, for instance, uh, a baby feels hungry. There's such a thing as food. He said, a duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. I want to ask you, Have you ever wondered what the inward workings of the soul looks like? I have. 
I've contemplated it a lot. What does the soul look like? I mean, it's immaterial, obviously. You can't see your mind. You know you have a brain, right? But you can't see the mind. You can't see the, necessarily the depths of, of the heart. And we're not talking about the heart that pumps our blood, but the depth of the core of who we are. How about the working of the conscience? How about your emotions? We're, we're very in tune to how we feel most of the time. We can tell people how we feel. And we can say that we can make decisions and we have a, a volition that makes choices. And, and there's a dynamic inner working of the human soul that we kind of get glimpses of, but you can't, you can't go to uh, your hospital and to a radiologist and take a picture of it. You say, oh, it's there. And yet that immaterial part of us is very much a, a reality in our lives. I, I was thinking about this, and I've been in church most of my life, and I've heard a lot of preachers and, and a lot of many great preachers. And I'm very thankful for it. I've learned and gleaned a lot. But I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know that, and I'm sure there's probably messages out there somewhere, but I don't know that I've ever heard one that deals with the inward workings of the dynamic of the soul. In other words, how it does, unless it would have been Watchman Nee who wrote a book on the spiritual man. We don't think of, of it this much. We may talk about the heart. We talk about our mind and our emotions. We're going to look at all this kind of day as composite. But I want to ask you, I mean, if this soul stuff is so important, and shouldn't we understand at least how the dynamic of how it works? Wouldn't you want to? I would. Well, you know, we the Bible does give us a glimpse into it. And I think there's really no better place to look than Psalm 63. And if you look at Psalm 63, what you will find is David gives us a glimpse into the inner workings of his mind, emotions, his, his will, and the reality of how that works out in his life in relationship to his God. Now what you get with David is just the real deal. This guy has very he has no pretense. He is a guy that is as in his and he at this point in time in the writing of this psalm had already was already was already king of Israel. And there was a rebellion going on in the kingdom. In other words, there was a coup upon David's life. So David reverted back to what he knew as a shepherd boy. He went back into the wilderness. And he could have been hiding in caves or he was hiding out in fear of his own son. There was division in his home. And it was division that actually one of the prophets had promised that would happen. Because as you know, David's life was far from perfect. He suffered the consequences of, of sin with his adultery with Bathsheba and then having Uriah, her husband, um, on the front lines went to, to, to be murdered. 
this was not a guiltless man. And this is the same man that we have Psalm 51, the great confession, to restore unto me the joy of, of your salvation, Lord. This is the David. This is that David. And this is the David that is suffering the consequences in his own family for his own sin. Now, he, recog he recognized it in many regards, and yet he, he senses, but what you get in this Psalm 63 is David is on this desert and in this desert land, and he's, he's running in fear of his son. I couldn't imagine how heartbroken and how afraid and, and so forth that this man was. But here's a man who knew how to call on God. He knew how to call on God. He was a man who was after God's own heart in all of his failure, in all of his frustration, in all of his fears, in everything that he dealt with in life. And David in the Psalms kind of gives us, kind of tears it back, and he gives us the spiritual anatomy of the soul. And he lets us look into it. How does it work? What does it look like? And I'm thinking, yeah, there's some great wisdom in this. How can you lay your head down, David, with a pillow being a stone and your heart being in dis-ease and rest? You've asked yourself the same question. I can't rest. My mind's restless. It's filled with all kinds of things. Jumping and running around in my mind. And here's David. And what you get in Psalm 63 are five very key essential things that I want us to look at this morning. You see, the big question is this. What, what is the dynamic and what are the dynamics of the workings of the inner life, your inner life? Because that's where God says the real you lies. The real you doesn't lie in what people say about you. The real you is, is the inner life that shapes your pursuits, that settles your soul, and satisfies your mind. We often lose this in life, and I kind of alluded to it last week. There was a man who was raised in the mountains. As a little boy, he loved to fish. He'd go out to his favorite spot and fish, and he noticed, he, he would notice that it would be a real popular place where he fished. There would be airplanes that would fly over, and he imagined one day that he would be a pilot in one of those airplanes. He'd fly over it, and he could see the whole landscape and so forth. And he dreamed about that. He imagined what it would be like. He longed for the day. He longed for that day. And day after day. And so all this was imprinted in his mind and his vision. Well, eventually he grows up. Becomes very successful. Owns his own airplane. And he becomes a pilot. And he's flying over, he's, he, he begins to, he's flying out in the, in the little community there, and he flies over his spot that he fished at as a boy, 
he looked at that spot and he'd fly over it again. And, and uh, the, his co-pilot was saying, wherever the guy that was with him that day, said, why do you keep flying over this spot? He said, well, I couldn't wait till the day that I could fly. He said, now I can't wait till the day I can go fishing. Think of it. There is an unsettled dissatisfaction in where we are oftentimes. We're always, it's always out there. It's fear of missing out. We're fear, afraid of missing out on something. So there is an undercurrent of dissatisfaction that we live with. There's longings and desires that we look at in our life. But what I want to ask you is this. Did not Jesus say to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all of these other things would be what? All the things that we expect to bring us satisfaction somehow kind of get us there but not there. So then where is it? If there is a satisfaction then where is it? Well, David gives us the clue. As we look at the spiritual anatomy that David opens up his heart to show us himself as he relates to God. Now I want you to look at, at the first one here. First one. David says this. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Let's just say it as a responsive reading today. Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. That's where he starts. Now where did he learn that? It begins with a personal encounter with God. Now I want to suggest to you that David had more than one. I think that we need a relationship with God. I think, And that comes when we recognize that we're a sinner and we need a Savior. David had an encounter with God over and over and over again. He encountered God who was mighty in battle over the Philistine giant. He encountered God as he would play his, his lyre. And, and uh, he was a musician, you know. David was a musician. He would calm the troubled spirit of Saul who was a troubled man. He'd play, he, he would play his in, he would play the instrument. We have the noted Psalm 23 that's been sung over and over and over again as well as recited. It was a song. And now we get a song of David. Notice what he says, Oh God, you are my God. Now there's some assumptions that you make in this. And that are these. That is, there's three things that I think you can look at. Notice what he said. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He was there. He said, this is how I feel. Here's the three things that you, we know to be true about a relationship with God. That God is, that God is knowable. That God is relational. And God is personal. Those are three things that we get from just this one little phrase of David. It says, oh God, you are my God. And I want to suggest to you this morning is that if you, could, if you can't say that, 
then you need to get to a place where you can. Because there is a God who is pursuing you in a personal way for you to have relationship with where you can find the depth of the satisfaction in your soul. You were created for that. God encoded that in you. It is in the dynamic workings of the inner part of your heart to have such a relationship. And you will search and search and search and search and search all of your life to find that. Why? Because it is that place and vacuum in your heart that can only be filled to the fullest sense in a relationship with God. Some people feel it with all kinds of things. Some people escape the pain with drugs or alcohol or sex or any kind of other thing that you can imagine. To escape the pain in their life and to escape the longing and to escape the unfulfillment, escape the disappointment, escape the frustration. Notice here, David turns to God. He says, oh God, my God. So part of a part of the place to begin is this, is saying, okay, what am I trying to fill my life up with? Or sometimes it's just busyness or our work. There's good things we try to fill our lives with that, that really don't ultimately bring the fulfillment because there's, it's a God-shaped place that only God can fill. No person, your spouse can't fill that space up. This is a place where God goes. And it's a place where the longing of the heart is fulfilled in a relationship with Him. So we see that God is knowable, God is relational, and God is personal. It is basically the antithesis of atheism. Atheism says God is not knowable. If there is no God, God is not relational. God is not personal. Deist or agnostics would say the same thing. You can't know this God. If there is a God... He's out there and he's far away. He is very impersonal. The Christian worldview as well as the Bible teaches that God is knowable, God is relational, and God is personal. If God is knowable, it means then that you can know him. If he's relational, it means that you can have a personal, intimate relationship with him. He can be and become your God. And it also means that he is personal, that he is interested in the details of your life and particularly the inner workings of your soul. That God is at work in it. And when you come to that awareness, do you embrace God in that kind of way? When you're in a wilderness or in a desert land or in a situation or in a heartache or in a fear, you have a place to turn. You can say, as David said, God, you are my God. You are my God. David is like, where else can I turn? He looks to the sky and sees the stars at night. And he recognized it was His God who placed the planets and set them in their order. He recognized that his God was with him even in the darkness. Do you know God that way? Well, David learned this because David, remember, was a shepherd. 
He learned to trust God when it was just David and wild animals and wild beasts and him caring for these sheep who would get lost. David knew God personally. I have great news. If you don't know God personally, you can know him personally today. That's good news. And you're searching for something in your life and you're saying, what is it? What is it? I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. Well, it's God. And you open up the dynamic inner workings of the spiritual life and you see that in this little psalm here. It's right here. The second thing that we see is this. He said, early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. So there's a personal encounter with God that is ongoing. But the second thing is that there is an earnest pursuit of God. In other words, he is seeking after this God who is seeking him. Now, how do you seek after, uh, how do you seek after God? Well, he says it this way. He says, early will I seek you. I'm thinking early morning. I'm thinking early in my life. I'm thinking this is the direction of my heart. This is the the direction of the day. This is the direction of my life. It's very wise to get that direction early in life. I am glad that I trusted Christ at the age of 15. I have missed out on a few things in my life. And I tell you, there's a lot of things that I've missed out on that I'm glad I'm serious. Do you know it takes as much of the grace of God to save a quote-unquote moral person as it does somebody that we would say, boy, oh, I don't know about their life. It's been captivated and you can go down the list. But do you know the same grace that it takes to, to save a moral person? It, it, it takes the same grace to save I was just a good moral sinner. And that was my problem. I was self-justified. But I want you to know that at the age of 15, I recognized that there was a, there was, there was a king who come on the scene. And man, that evening I got a spiritual bath. I remember at the night that I trusted Jesus, I felt like that somebody had given me a bath on the inside of my heart. And I'm thinking, whoa, what is that? Well, Greg, that's just forgiveness of sins. My mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. God can clean us up. Even in all of our self-justification and our self-righteousness, there is nothing that compares to the righteousness of Christ and the power of His blood to cleanse us. He says, early will I seek you. He says, my soul. He said, it's like this. The spiritual inworkings of the soul is like this. He said, it's like, it's like you when you are real thirsty. And all that you have to drink is a little bit of a sugary drink, like uh, maybe Pepsi or Coke or something. Or, and you drink that and you say, I need water. 
He said, it's like that. He said, he said, my soul is thirsting for you. My mouth is parched. My soul is parched and dry. The winds have been glo- been billowing over the desert land and it is parched. And I need refreshment in my soul. David said it, it's like that. He says, my flesh longs for you. My yearning is you. It's a dry and it's a thirsting land and there's no water here. In other words, everywhere I look down here is just a reminder of my perpetual thirst. And the dryness of my heart. And my soul. He says, so early I will seek you. Fountains of living waters. Jesus said that he is not only the bread of life. He's the fountain of life. And Jesus said this. Listen, all this is so good. Jesus said, within you. Wells, there is a wellspring of life. Through the power of his spirit. A wellspring that gushes forth. From the inside out. So you're in a dry and barren land and you're in a dark land and you're, you're in a place of need and you realize it all along. And Jesus said, oh, don't you know that I make trips to the desert places? Don't you know that I go down to the, to the barren places where only the cactus survive? Don't you know that I'm there with you? You say it's a wilderness, Greg. It's a wilderness in in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my work, in my aspirations, in my dreams, in my whatever. And you fill in the blank. Well, Jesus comes to dry places. And there's a promise that you will find Him when you search for Him with your whole heart. You won't be let down. An earnest pursuit. So what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Well, I want to be a pilot, Greg. Or I want to go fishing. All right? It's always in the next thing. He says, I'm thirsting, Lord. I'm thirsting for you. Now notice the second verse. This is just verse... I got two points out of one verse. I mean, that's, that's how much this stuff's packed. There's, 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 there is not only a personal encounter with this God, but the reality of an earnest pursuit. And I just, wanna, I just want to challenge you to lean in on it. If you've got any inkling of a desire at all for God, lean into it. Rev it up. Stoke it up. And press into God. And how do you do that? You do that through prayer. This is what this is. This is a prayer. You do this through prayer. So I want you to notice the third thing that he said. Now, I'm doing pretty good. And what I'm saying by time. Um, I'm on number three, and it's only ten till. Anybody here notice that? Huh? Did, did, did anybody back there notice that? Huh? All right. Here we go. I know. Somebody said I'm not on the clock. I know I'm not on the clock, but I'm on somebody's clock. Yeah. Right? I know. It all belongs to him. Yeah. I know. I get it. Um, 
look at the third one here. Let's go, go to the third one. It's a, our pleasurable enjoyment. Now, you know, I don't know how Satan has got this thing, got folks convinced that you, if you're a Christian or if, if you, you know, you, your enjoyment in life just goes. And that's so wrong, isn't it? It is just so wrong. I mean, the, the world, obviously, and you know this, we live in a very advertisement, market-driven world, and, and, and you know, everybody presents the best to, to be pleasurable. But I want you to know the, notice this. There is a pleasurable enjoyment in God. Now, you say, well, that, that, that don't hardly fit in church, does it? <laughs> well, I didn't think it did. Until I started reading the Bible. He says, I, I've looked for you in the sanctuary. I went to church today and I, oh yeah, I saw my friends, but I've looked for you in the sanctuary. To see your power and your glory because of your loving. He says, listen, your loving kindness is better than life. He said, so I am in the sanctuary and I'm looking for you. You are the enjoyment of my life. It is, it is, this is better than life for me. Think of that. He's saying, God, you know, my expectations down here are not that high, but I have high expectations that my enjoyment factor is, is, is out the top in you. It's out the top. It's the enjoyment. It is the enjoyment factor. I want you to think about this. Most of us just survive and we drag into church, don't we? Okay, I'm just kind of being honest. I mean, you've got mind battles. You've got all kinds of other things you're dealing with in your life. And we just kind of drag in and we're saying, I just need to survive. That's where most people are, by the way. But, but what, if, what if that changed and our pursuit became to be the enjoyment factor in God? In other words, the things, that, the things that you can find enjoyable in life, what if, what if you begin to see God in those things? Uh, you, begin to, you, you begin to see the reality. And so he, David, David said this, he said, I look for you in the sanctuary. Now here's the deal with the sanctuary. This goes back to a long Old Testament history when God in His glory would literally come down and fill the sanctuary. And there was a sense of, of the presence of God there that was strong, and it was His power and His glory. It was His power that would come into the sanctuary and His glory, the Shekinah, and it would fill the sanctuary. And the priests would go back into the holy place. They knew that they were standing on holy ground because God was in the sanctuary. And Jesus comes and blows this thing out of the water. Because it gets even better by the time you get in the New Testament. So David said it's like this. He says, Lord, I've long, I've looked for you in the sanctuary. I sought for you in the refuge of your sanctuary and your temple. And I want to see your power and notice here your glory. Glory, God's glory always lifts your eyes upward. And I want to tell you something else. Where God's glory is, it lifts you above shame. It lifts you out of that. It raises our sights higher to God. That's why worship is really so important. 
Why? Because it, in, it inspires the heart to look on a higher plane of living. Why? Because we live in the conflict down here. We live in the struggles down here. We live in the shame down here. We live in the battles down here. And it's constantly constant and constant. And when God's glory shows up, like Isaiah in the temple, He says He's holy, holy, holy. All the thing around I hear me, around me is I hear people with unclean lips and myself with the same words. But when you get a glimpse of His glory, that He is the thrice holy God who is worthy of praise. The angels of seraphim and cherubim are flying around in His temple and they're declaring His holiness day. And well, there's no night there because He is the light. He said, who will, I, who will go for me, Isaiah. He says, Lord, here I am. Send me. I will be your spokesman. I will go. But not until I've had a touch from your, of your glory. Now, I want to ask you, if you had a touch of his glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All oh, the half has never been told, the Bible says. Greater than our understanding. And so the, the angel takes from the, the altar of God's holiness and His power a, ta- a, a fiery a fiery cleansing of His tongue that was filled with curses and deceit and all the other things of this world. Glory always lifts you higher. I want to tell you something. There is no ill in our lives, in our community, in our culture, in our country that a good dose of God's people seeking God's glory and God coming down in His power and His righteousness to change hearts and lives that, that He couldn't fix. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> Nothing. Listen. Our forefathers understood it. That's why they hit the altar and they prayed for God's glory to save their children and their grandchildren. And God in His time and in His purpose and His will would show up and hearts would change so, so miraculously. Our country has been preserved through two great awakenings. One prior to, one prior to the signing of the Declaration of the Independence. And one afterward. And everybody tries to change things through reform. But I tell you something you cannot change. And that is you cannot reform the human heart. But God in His glory can certainly change it. Hallelujah to Jesus. So Greg, what are you praying for? I'm praying that, I'm praying that we pursue God with all of our hearts. Do you know God can bring a revival to your family? Some of you have, have, have family members who are, who are dealing with addictions. They've been caught in the snare of the enemy. And you just shake your head. I don't know what we're going to do. What if, we begin, what if you begin to pray? What if you begin to pray and seek God in their behalf? 
And you begin to pray and ask for the glory of God to come and fill. Listen, all of these little things that the world offers are only little mirages kind of to distract us away from the real work that God wants to do in the depth of our heart. What could happen if we find our greatest pleasure and enjoyment in Jesus? Now look to the sanctuary. Your power. And notice what he said. Notice the words that he used. I like this. I'm thinking, okay, power and glory. That's kind of like, I don't know if I want in on that. I mean, that's kind of scary to think of God's power and his glory. But then David goes a little more personal. He says, Lord, it is your loving kindness. It is your loving kindness. So I have found that this God who is who I'm awestruck with His glory and His power and His might, I'm equally in wonder of His loving kindness that draws me and it and it and it satisfies the depth of my heart that is longing for and looking for love. God is awesome, and God is filled with wonder. His loving kindness toward me. You say, Greg, could God love me like that? He does love you like that. He does. He does. What could happen in your life if you pursued God and the, and the most pleasurable thing in your life could be the reality of your relationship with God and you just simply press into God and ask and seek and knock. And I'm thinking about asking God for more than just, you know, your child winning a ball game. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying more than that. I'm talking about real life issues. And those things where we, where we find the depth of our enjoyment in Him. Listen, our children need it more than anybody. And guess where they're going to learn it? They learn it from us. They learn it from parents and grandparents. The depth of our pursuits in God. The reality of all this. The reality of our pleasurable enjoyment in Him. Third thing. Fourth thing. Look at verse 4. He says, Thus I will bless you while I live. Now I always thought that church was about me. Anybody here raised that way? Nobody's going to admit anything this morning. I mean, I was, I was told I go to church to get my blessing. But David didn't say that. David said, I, I go to, he says, your glory and your, your honor and your power and your loving kindness. And he says, I will bless your name. Hands up, Lord. I will bless your name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all is within me. Bless his holy name. I will lift up my hand. Notice here, he said, I will lift up my hands in, in, in your name. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You say, Craig, I'm Baptist. I can't do that. <laughs> we'll do this. Just get there. <laughs> Did you notice what he said? Now, I'm not, listen, listen, listen. 
It took me a long time. Now, you'll see me back there. I'm sitting back. I'll, I'll raise my hands. And I don't think nothing about it. But a long time ago, I did. I was very self-conscious. You know why? Because I was thinking worship is about who? Now, I'm not saying if you have struggled with that, that you think worship's about you. I'm, please don't take that. Don't take that wrong. I don't. I don't I'm not saying that. Sometimes we're very self-conscious. So I was very self-conscious. Very self-conscious. But after a while, it's like, okay, and you get desperate enough for God. You're like, oh, Lord, please. So all the folks you see, raise your hands, and you say, I wish I could do that. Just, just know, you know, a lot of times it comes out of desperation for God. Desperation to see God working in your life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, and God's given us all different personalities and so forth. Now, that's okay. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But notice here, David did say he raised his hands. He said, I lift my hands up in your name. That's, that's a part of it. My soul shall, but notice here what he said. Here we get it now. He said, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and with fatness. Now, you know what, you know what the picture that I'm getting here, Gene? I'm getting the picture of one of these big country cooked tams. You know? How about you? I mean, this speaks to my country. Yeah, it does. And I'm, I'm thinking, I've noticed that when I eat, sit down and eat the steak, you know what the best part is? Somebody said it. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to eat this. And I need to trim that up. And I'm like, boy, it sure does taste good. David is actually alluding to the sacrifices that were given. He said it's like, like the, the fatness and the marrow. He said, he said it's just, it is just a nourishment. To my, it's satisfying. To, to my soul. And he says, it's like after you, you eat that, it, that, that. And he said, you get up and you say, man, was, wasn't that steak really awesome? I ate the big bubba. You know? That's, that's, the, that's the one you get when they say, if you eat all of it, you know? Uh And, you know, if you eat too much, you get sick. But, uh, and it's like, wow. You ever sit, have you ever sat down? Listen, let's just talk to me just a second. Now I've got five minutes left. Praise Ben, I want you to get ready. Because I want you to come back and sing, okay? We're going to sing song number one, Jeff, okay? Not right yet, but come on. Well, come on, come on. I've got one more point. But it's the joyful praise of the lips. He, he, said it's, he says, I will bless you. He said, I'm going to bless you with, with everything that's within me. Everything was like with, Lord, you are so sad. You know what? One of the things you can do this morning is you say, you know what? I haven't told God lately, but I, Lord, I'm just so thankful that you have settled my heart and you satisfy my mind with all that you are. And you do. I, I want to give you, 
I want there to be joyful praise that comes from my lips. I want there to be joyful praise that comes from my lip because, because you're the resurrected Lord and the resurrected Christ. This is the anatomy of the soul. I am created to give God glory, to ascribe to Him glory that He already has and to worship Him. The power of His life, the power of His resurrection, the, the power of His presence, the, the, the things that, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're going to sing today, and this is going to be our benediction. This is going to be our benediction. This is our song of praise. This is your song, the benediction of your heart. The benediction of your soul that says, Lord, I lift you up in praise. And my lips give you joyful praise. My lips give you joyful praise. Why? Because you satisfy my mind. The last verse is this one. This is after the song. This is, the, this is when you go to bed tonight. Read this before you go to bed tonight. Okay, this last verse. I remember you, Lord, on my bed. And I'll meditate on you in the night watches. You've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, Lord, I'm going to let today kind of continue on. Our worship leaders, as they've led us in worship, I, I'm, I'm extending it out this day that in the shadow of your wings tonight, as the darkness falls, I rejoice. I rejoice. My soul is going to follow Close behind you, even in the night watches. Let my dreams be dreams about you and of you. Your right hand upholds me, Lord. Let's stand together. There's a peaceful ease of the mind that comes when we pursue God with all of our hearts. And Father, we are thankful that we even have lips to praise You. And I pray that You take the offering of this song that we sing this morning as an offering of praise to Your name. Be free to do Your work in our lives. Father, I pray that if there's repentance needed, give us your grace to repent and to turn, to change to Christ. If there's adjustments needed in our life, help us to place our priority to, to be you first. We've been looking to the other things of this world. May our steadfast gaze be Christ. And one day, Lord, this veil of sorrow, tear, and all these things down here will fade away. And we will indeed crown you, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're going to find out that you are the God who was with us all the time. Keeping your promise. May we crown you. 
for the sake of Christ, the glory of Christ, who is in us all and above us all and through us all, for his name to be glorified and praised forever. And together we say, Amen.